It's only a kick. A jump. A block. It's only a serve. It's only a tackle. A run. It's only for the fans. After all, it's only pressure. You got this. Adidas. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. Hey, everybody. It is Trags, and this week on Red Sox Beat, a special trade edition, trade deadline week edition of Red Sox Beat. I welcome Julian McWilliams covering the Red Sox, doing an outstanding job for the Boston Globe. You can follow him on Twitter at Julian Mack, all one word, J-U-L-I-A-N-M-A-C-K. I guess you are one busy individual, Julian, this week. Yeah, it's, 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 uh, it's what it, it, I guess it's what the season is partially all about, right? You get to this point and it is sort of, and sort of you uh, have this, this, this moment where, you know, nobody expected probably the Red Sox to be here in this situation, but here they are probably, you know, seller. I mean, buyers, people thought they were going to be sellers at, at probably if you were looking at the season last year, but you know, here they are in, in first place and, you know, they got, they got to make some moves to, to, to keep that push going. 61 and 39 is where they're at, Julian. That's pretty amazing considering, you know, after a hundred games, they are a game ahead of Tampa Bay and they have essentially put the New York Yankees in their rearview mirror after let's recap real briefly what happened on Sunday afternoon at Fenway. They are getting no hit through seven innings and then explode in the eighth inning for five runs. I thought Alex Gore did an incredible job really managing that game. And what did he say about uh, the uh, relief corps? If they can get out of the uh, seventh inning, uh, they're going to win this game. Pretty amazing, right? I mean, look, look, the team is getting, like you said, they're getting no hit. And then all of a sudden, it's just like, we're up there in the press box. We're like, man, this is this going to, ha- is this going to really happen? And then I know the, the opposing, the, the Yankees writers are like, am I really going to have to write a no hitter story? And I'm like, oh man, I feel free. I've been there because I was, because actually the last time the Red Sox were no hit, I was covering the A's in Oakland. And that was in the, and that was when Sean Mania threw the no hitter. Yep. So that's going through my head. Am I, am, I'm like, am I like the, the, the no hit curse for the Red Sox? And so you see Verdugo get that hit. And then all of a sudden it was just like a, an avalanche. It just happened so fast. And credit to Cora because, yep. I mean, I think, I think a lot of times, like what gets missed in all that is like, man, I, Aaron, Aaron Boone, like the fact that he left, uh, uh, um, what's his, uh, uh, Loisica in yeah. for, for for the fourth batter. Yes, it was like, you know, what are you doing? Then he played infield back, and not protecting, not protect to protect the lead, and then it just seemed like the game was moving so fast for him. And then you know, uh, then uh, Cora brings in Pawecki when 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 um when um, Britton comes in for the lefty. So it, it t- sort of like playing uh, Boone is trying to play cat and mouse, and then Cora brings in brings in Pawecki to face Britton. Then they get the the RBI ground out. I mean, it just seemed like it was like comparing 
it was like it was, it was sort of like levels to everything right like it just right it was like it was like Cora was playing the old expression Cora was playing um you know chess when uh, Aaron Boone was playing checkers that's what that right. that seventh yeah. and eighth inning felt like on Sunday yeah yeah it just it just seemed it just seemed like the game was moving way too fast for Boone and here you have Cora on the other side just seemed like just a total wizard of the of the moment it just seemed <laughs> It's it's just amazing what they're doing. One one thing, Julian, that I, I want to bring up about uh, Sunday's game and, and highlight a player that I don't think is getting enough attention. Uh, he's gone under the radar in the bullpen. Josh Taylor, absolutely he entered the seventh inning with one out and the bases loaded. He struck out Mike Stanton and then induced a fly out uh, to right field by Odor to strand all three runners. He has not allowed a run in 34 of his 40 appearances this season. And remember, he had that 26-game streak where he didn't allow a run. Yep. Um, and, and that was that was incredible. Um, and I think the only person – I think he had, like, the streak was on the line, and I think Koji Urahara was, like, one ahead of him. And so, I mean, it's, it's, it's pretty amazing. I think – and this is a person that, you know, missed all of – pretty much a lot of – a chunk of last year, you know, with – after he went down with COVID, him and Downers and Hernandez. And then yep. he came back and struggled. They all had the arm issues. And, and then and I think this year he struggled in the beginning. And then he was just like, Cora's like, look, like, I believe in you. You're our guy. And he said the fact of having that boost for him, you know, meant a lot. And that's sort of like just that coupled with like some mechanical changes has sort of like changed around the season. I mean, and, and you're looking at a person that's that's a linchpin to this bullpen. I mean, you look at that inning and I'm just and you're sitting there, it's like three nothing at the time. I'm like, mm, this this can get ugly. And you know, credit to him. He's 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 pitched well all season. Well and, and let's let's face it, you know, the Red Sox, even if they had lost that game yesterday, even if they were no hit, they still split the series at right. uh, worst case. And that's not terrible considering uh the Red Sox would have been you know, 60 and 40, that's 600 ball after a hundred games. That's still pretty great, but uh, to come back and win that game. And I thought Taylor was uh, the significance of Josh Taylor to me is the fact that Salomura just went on the injured list. And, you know, you're talking about a Red Sox uh, bullpen that, you know, Adam Ottavino has had its ups and downs. Right. Mm -hmm. And, you know, I think what we're going to, uh, you know, mostly ups early in the season, uh, but, you're talking about a guy that has really been a stabilizing force uh, in the middle part of that bullpen, especially um, to help Corey get to the back end, get to Matt Barnes. Yeah. And keep in mind, like Ryan Brazier is still out. Like they haven't had him all season. I mean, I was a guy that, you know, even last year, he pitched pretty well last year, but like, it's like, it's a pretty much a person that you can sort of depend on in the, in the seventh inning. And they've had to sort of, piece it piece that you know part of the rotate I got the part of the bullpen up and and sort of you know mix and match and, and here's you know Josh Taylor who's like the 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 ideal matchup guy um and not just not not just the ideal matchup guy because I think that might be discrediting him a little bit um he's the ideal reliever to get guys out I mean I'm at last two years ago he might have been the ideal matchup guy for people on base but He's turned into a different beast this year, and and I think that's credit to his hard work and sort of credit to his his, his mental um, um, philosophy too, because he seems like a very really, really really like you know chill sort of even keeled guy, and I think that's what you have to have, especially playing in this market. What has surprised you the most, Julian, covering this team about this year, about this team this year? <sighs> Just the belief in themselves. I mean, 
this was a team that I, that I that I thought you know had a chance this year um, to be good, and I, I wasn't necessarily taking the approach of oh man they're going to be terrible. Um, I know that's been a lot of what, and I think they've sort of fed off of that, right? They sort of fed off the, and I think they sort of um, embellished it to a, to a degree of saying, yeah, oh, they the have. media and thought, you know, like the media thought we would be bad and all this stuff. It's like, okay. They love the like, underdog rule. I mean, right. and, and you can't often be the underdog in Boston. You can be right. an underdog in Pittsburgh, Cincinnati, Arizona, uh, Seattle even. You can be an yeah. underdog there. You can't yeah. necessarily be an underdog that naturally in Boston, but this Red Sox team has certainly embraced that. And look, I thought coming into this year, they had a chance to be very competitive if they hit, and they did do that. But right. if this team gets the kind of pitching that in the bullpen that they have been getting um, on a consistent basis, pretty much the whole season, but especially of late, then they're going to be uh, right there with the Astros with the White Sox and with Tampa Bay. It's those, to me, those four teams in the American League. One of those four teams is going to come out of the American League and make it to the World Series. Yeah, and it's funny that you mentioned the fact of like, you can't be an underdog because I think um, Cora sort of like adopted that underdog role. But then when he hurt, like he heard his team start to say a lot, he came out to us and said, yeah, you know, okay, let's, let's pump the brakes a little bit. You can't be an underdog in Boston. Like, Right, because I think Kike Hernandez went on some tangent like, "Oh, the media sucks." And this is and this is his first year here. It's like, relax a little bit. Like you know, it's it's this isn't the this isn't like you know you're not number two in in I know you get the Dodgers and all that stuff, but like you played there. But it's like it's it's still different in Boston. It's like a it's a bigger it's it means baseball means more here, and the expectations are higher here in LA. It's kind of you know it's LA. It's a lot more going on here. It's like it's sports. So when Corey came out and said, you know, okay, yeah, you know, he sort of said, okay, we have, we have to get going with that. We have to let go of that underdog role. Like you can't be an underdog in Boston, but, and that, that's sort of like, to your point that that was sort of interesting to me, but the most surprising thing about this team for me is just that they're never out of it. I mean, it's just, it just seems like, I mean, 32 come from behind wins the most in the majors. Uh, I thought they were going to lose that game yesterday. Yeah, I mean, they were dead on the carpet. There was no doubt that they, were you know really dead in the water and had no life to them and and again I say this they won the first two games of the series they lost on Saturday if they split that series against the Yankees nobody bats an eye I mean they're like okay just take care of business the Yankees came back did what they had to do to stay relevant uh in the race they split the series in Boston they'll go about their way the Red Sox would go on uh, and move on to the Toronto Blue Jays this week at Fenway, and you know that'll be it. Yeah, I think this this what if anything this week can show that this is a two team race in this division. It's yes, raising no the question. It's I mean race, excuse me, raising in the Red Sox. It's nobody else. It, it just seems that it just seems that that's what it's going to be, and that's going to come down to the wire with that. I don't, and I don't. Uh, everybody I've had on this podcast in the last month keeps telling Lou Merloni, Chad Jennings. Um, you name it. Uh, whoever I've had on has said, keep an eye on the Toronto Blue Jays. Keep an eye on the Toronto Blue Jays. I just don't believe in their pitching. I just yeah. don't. They're going to mash, but I don't think they have the pitching to match with the Red Sox in the race. No, I, I don't think so either. And I think I spoke to Marcus Simeon at, at All-Star and he said, you know, we just haven't really been able to put it together. Um, and that's sometimes what happens with young teams. But granted, young teams tend to play better in the second half. Well, that just hasn't really happened yet. So 
you know, they, they come in for four. That, that's a still a dangerous team if they hit. Uh, I mean, I mean, remember they put up like 18 runs on the Red Sox, I think, in the um, in the previous series they played here. And so they th- those runs can pile up on you quick. But like you said, their they're, they're pitching just isn't there, and especially their, their, their relief core. It just doesn't seem to – they just always seem to be giving up runs. When I'm covering a Toronto Blue Jays game, I'm saying this is going to be a long night. Yep. We, we had a couple of those here in Cincinnati where – uh, the Reds and Cardinals over the weekend, they played a couple of three and a half, four hour games. And they're just, they're hard. To, it's hard to keep focused on the game because there's so many ways that the game can go over four hours. Whereas if you have a two, a nice, neat two and a half hour game or even three hours, um, it's a lot easier to focus on the game. Right, Julian? A lot easier. A lot easier. And I was in Buffalo last, last week and that, that place plays like the, uh, like the ball just flies out of there. I think the Red Sox put up like nine, eight or nine runs in an inning. And I was like, oh no, is this, is this going to be one of those nights in Buffalo at that? I'm like, oh. <laughs> so, well, you, you don't have a lot of nightlife as uh, Tom Brady will uh, tell everybody. There's not a lot to do in, in Buffalo. So you might as well <laughs> focus on uh, spending your time at the ballpark. Um, the Blue Jays, by the way, the only way they really get back into this series, uh, into the um, race is if they sweep all four games, yeah. right? I mean, they, yeah. they're in a position now, they're nine and a half back, they're 49 and 46. They're, they've actually fallen a half game behind the Yankees. And that's what the Yankees losing three or four uh, to the Red Sox over the weekend. I just don't, unless Toronto comes in and sweeps the Red Sox, I don't see uh, the Blue Jays being very relevant. And that could be interesting because, uh, you know, the, the Blue Jays aren't really going to make a push, I think, this week. Uh, to be buyers. I don't know if they're necessarily going to be sellers or what, what they can yeah. sell on the market, um, but I don't, they're not going to be buyers. I, I can't see that either. I mean, it's, it's still a very young team too. I mean, I know, I know right. you have uh, sort of their pitching staff is a little bit older, but like you see the, the pieces sort of coming together um, and, and you see the inconsistencies in that too, right? Like you see the, when they come, it's like they, make lazy throwing errors, you know, boot balls in between their legs, Na- natural stuff that kids do. Then they'll go up and right. mash a three-run home run, right? So it's like, okay, it's there, but like the 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 consistency and being able to do it on a day-in and day-out basis as a big leaguer, like a Bo Bichette in, in the field, you know, that's, he's sort of like all over the place a little bit sometimes. I don't know if he's playing out of position or he needs to be playing second. He's probably more of a second baseman if you ask me. Um, but – I think that you see the, the, the flaws and in, in the sort of just the ability to stay focused in, in a nine inning game for that team. It sort of gets to them at certain points. Speaking with Julian McWilliams covering the Red Sox, doing an outstanding job covering the Red Sox for the Boston Globe. You can follow him on Twitter at Julian Mac, all one word. Hey, sports fans, bet online, the fastest and easiest way to bet on all of your sports action. Baseball season, of course, in full swing, and you can track all of the action at Bet Online. Get all of the latest news, odds, and info for all of your sporting needs, including MLB, NHL, NBA, and of course, UFC, MMA. Real time updated odds and props on almost anything you can imagine. Bet Online has you covered for all of the news, scores, and odds. It's the best way to place your bets, and of course, it's free to sign up. Before the next pitch, head on over to Bet Online on your laptop or your mobile device and take advantage of the 50% welcome bonus on your first deposit. Bet Online, your online sportsbook experts. Don't sit on the sidelines anymore. Get in on the action. Don't forget to use that promo code CLNS50. 
to receive a 50% welcome bonus with your first deposit. Bet online, your online sportsbook experts. Back with Julian McWilliams covering the Red Sox for the Boston Globe. All right, Julian, this is what a lot of people are waiting on this week for us to talk about. On Friday, not Saturday, July 31st, but Friday, July 30th at 4 p.m., that's the Major League Baseball trade deadline. The Red Sox, we figure at this point, are definitely going to be buyers. They're obviously uh, in first place in the American League Eastern Division. It's them and Tampa Bay, one and two, or one and one A in the American League Eastern Division. The number one priority for the Red Sox at the trading deadline is? Uh, I think a first baseman. Uh, you got to figure that, that situation out. You look at a Bobby Dahlbeck. I don't think he's ready. I, I, and I think the Red Sox have sort of realized that, you know, it's, he's had, I think, three walks since the start of June. Um, and this is a guy that sort of controlled the strike zone and in, in all throughout, um, you know, the minors. And that's something that Cora said, yeah, this is, that's kind of a surprise to me, like with him is like the fact that he's not walking, like, yeah, we knew about the high strikeout rate, but we're like, okay, like, but we can deal with that because he's able to control the strike zone. Right. So, you look at that situation and, and just how they're trying to mix and match. They tried a Royal there and he, he blew his, his hammy out when, on the stretch. And, and I think Corey sort of felt bad about that. So you're, you're looking now and saying, okay, they, they got, they got to figure out, you know, a way to, way to get a first baseman. And I think the name that comes up a lot is, is Anthony Rizzo. I mean, he was drafted by Boston um, originally, then was traded uh, to the Padres. So he has familiarity in, in this, in this organization, certainly. So, you know what? I guess that 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 could be certainly a, an interesting choice if they were to go that way. Well, I mean, I think you you get a bat like Anthony Rizzo and put that in the lineup. It does a couple of things. First of all, it's the impact on the field that the Red Sox are looking for, but it's the message that's delivered not only uh, around the American League but inside the clubhouse. And to me, that does matter. I think a lot of times when you try to make moves like this or try to improve your roster. Um, or try to do anything in the organization, you know, there's a lot of eye rolling and whatever, and that's nice that you know, you, we picked up a bat or we picked up an arm. But when you do something to a team or for a team that's 61 and 39, and you're trying to really get them over the hump, it really inspires the clubhouse. Yeah, absolutely. And I, I always go back to this this um, thing that, that the, the A's um, – GM David Force uh, told me like two, three years ago when they, when they made it, when they went on the sort of a run where they just, you know, and, and typical A's run. And he says, yeah. you know, you don't, he says, when you're, when you have an opportunity to make a push for the playoffs, you just, you don't punt it, you know, regardless of whatever situation you're in. And they were in a situation where they were a very, very young team and they just had like a, a very old pitching staff that was sort of overperforming. And they're like, you know, you sort of have to reward these guys. Right. And yes. I think that, that that plays into the morale of the team too. It's like, okay, you're playing well. Here's what you do. You don't you don't punt on a season just to you know get a better spot in the draft or you know whatever. I, I don't think that sort of trust the process uh, Philadelphia 76ers way necessarily yeah. good for team morale. You know, I mean, no, I think thank you. Right, and I'm a Sixer fan, by the way, Julian. I don't know if you knew that. Are you a Philly guy? Yeah, I I went to Villanova and uh, okay, lifelong. Oh, okay. Yeah. Well, uh, we've owned the big five, but I won't, uh, won't rub it in too much. (laughs) Certainly have. I can't, can't deny that. But no, I do not believe in the process. I think that's BS. I, I, Sam Hinkie screwed that 
organization so badly, but it's not an NBA podcast. I get it, but I have to vent a little bit. Um, yeah, no, I think I, there's I, a lot to be learned from the Sixers that you can apply over all sports. I really do. Right. And you try to make your team better with the best players you can acquire to complement your roster. And Absolutely. to me, the six, the lesson of the Sixers is they uh, relied on two players that were very, I want to say, vertical in terms of being, mm -hmm. you know, sil uh, silos. You, you, right. you, they talk about in, in, in business, silos being vertical and not horizontal enough and covering yeah. enough territory. That's what the Sixers were with Ben Simmons and, and Joel Embiid. Joel Embiid's right. turned out great. Uh, but Ben Simmons is just a headache. And, you know, when you're building a roster in baseball, it's sort of the same way. You don't build around necessarily one or two players and do that in a vacuum. You have to take into, pro uh, into consideration the entire roster. And I'm sure Heim Bloom's going to be doing that. Yeah, if, if, if this, I, I love the NBA, so we could probably go for days on that if I were to. No. But no, I... I I totally get you. I mean, I'm, I'm a Knicks fan, you know, and I think uh, they've been terrible most of my life, you know, and they've tried everything, but it's like, if you build a culture, if you build a foundation, which, you know, Tom Thibodeau has done, and I think that sort of has helped. So to, to apply that to the Red Sox, Cora has a culture there. Yes. Right? He, he has a system in place. He yes. has this, this idea. And I think a lot of those players are overperforming. Or, or maybe performing up to what their capabilities are because he has that expectation. He's created that culture. He's big into, you know, believing in guys and, and giving them a chance and, and all this other stuff. So, and he protects his guys. So, and I think Heim Bloom also has a culture where he's like, I'm trying to build long-term sustainability. Um, but within that though, he says, within that, within that long-term sustainability, I believe I saw it in the Chad Jennings article, um, Bloom said, you know, within that, I, I, that doesn't mean we don't want to win this year. Right. That doesn't right. want to say we punt on this year just because, you know, we're trying to build that long term sustainability similar in a fashion what the Yankees have done. You know, they granted they're having a down season this year, but man, they, I think they've made the playoffs. I think every year, um, I think what one year in the last, I don't know, maybe it's, it's, it's a long streak. And I think you can point to that sort of the sustainability of granted they've been out without a title so like i mean without a world series so that's another thing. yeah it's hollow if you're in new york and you're making the playoffs right. but you're not really exactly. competing for a world exactly. the last time they were really close is when they when the world is chapman gave up the home run to jose altuve in game yeah seven. and that, then or game six yeah and then prior to that they sort of in 2017 they sort of got there by mistake uh when they when they lost to the astros in seven like they they snuck in as a wild card, you know, took, they want, they, you know, they beat Cleveland and that, and when Cleveland had that really good year. Um, so I think long-term sustainability just goes to like to winning titles, but also not sort of the Dodgers way, I guess, in a sense, right. Just they, but the Dodgers now have to capitalize and win again, I think, or, you know, do something again, because you can't just, you know, long-term sustainability just means like, I think you want that sort of long-term success, but you, in, in, in this, you have to reward winning. All right. Um, let's talk about. Uh, let, give me three names, two or three names, pictures, starting pictures that they may be in on, because I do think they're going to try to add a starting picture to the staff, even with Chris Sale, who 
Um, I believe uh, will his next appearance will be in Worcester on Saturday. Is that right? Saturday. Yep. Saturday. Yep. So, um, give me give me two or three names, uh, starting pictures that they may be in on. I always say I think they need to go to to Jose Barrios um, from the from the um, um, excuse me from the Twins. I mean that's that's the guy that's I think he's making like what eight eight million this year and you know it's toward the end of the season the Red Sox sort of won't be on the hook for that you know for a small for 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 much he's he's been throwing the ball he's throws the ball really well um, young guy um, you know it's it, the Minnesota Twins obviously are on the seller's market they traded Rich Hill um, you know to the to to the Mets you know so. I, I think that that's that's certainly a name that they need to be be in on um, in terms of like in terms of like their their depth. I think I do think they need to add another reliever um, yes. to, 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 the, to the fold. I think just the fact of depending on a Matt Barnes and, you know, even throwing a Brandon Workman out there, that's sort of that in that in that moment yesterday, that was a little scary because he's sort of been up and down. Right. And and that's kind of what I thought. They're not going to get Craig Kimbrell. I, I think no, the New York Mets, if there's one team. That makes the most sense for Craig Kimbrell uh, this week to be on the lookout for. It's the New York Mets, right? Yeah, yeah, I think so. I think the the uh, the, the Craig Kimbrell days in, in Boston over. Though he's he's throwing the ball really well, though, and I yes. I never thought he would he would come back from that from that 2018 uh, uh, moment when then when there was like sort of like this huge gasp in Yankee Stadium when Gary Sanchez flew out to uh, or flat out to the uh, to, to to left. I was like, oh man, what's, what's going on? what's happening here. So I think the, the, the Craig Kimbrell thing, I think that's sort of a, that, that sort of a sailed because uh, you know, he's, he's, he's um, I, I just don't see it happening in Boston. All right. And uh, what uh, you expect from Chris sale when he does eventually return, is he a guy you can, you know, Alex Cora can step on the gas a little bit uh, because he doesn't have any innings this year. And, or is he somebody they're going to really treat? with kick gloves and, and be very cautious going forward. I think they'll pick and choose their spots with him. Like the thing with Chris and like, he'll, he'll, like, he'll say it himself. He'll, he's like, man, I don't know, like not like being in the middle and not going full throttle. Like when I'm on the mound, like there should, there's really no gray area with me. Like I'm, I'm stepping on the gas. So like, right. You know, so I think with that, like, they're going to have to, like, reel him in a little bit, you know, because Chris will go out there and he'll say, yeah, I can throw nine innings right now. You know, that's just the kind of mentality that he has. He has that kind of like that, I'm going to beat you up in the back alley to kind of like mentality. I'm that's gonna... one of the things Cora loves about him, though. Yeah, absolutely. But and then Cora kind of alluded to it yesterday. He said that, you know, yeah, well, we're going to bring him along. Like, you know, we want to win with like, we think he can be a, definitely a difference maker for us. Obviously, it's Chris Sale. But we're also trying to be prudent in the way that we sort of utilize him in terms of not, you know, still setting him up to be healthy going to next season. You know what I mean? Because that's the season that, that we're going to really, really see the Chris sale that we, that we know. Um, and he could come back and, and be great. You know, Tommy John is, is sort of a, a tricky thing. You saw Matt Harvey come back and he wasn't, wasn't that great. I know Chris had nine strikeouts yesterday, but you know, we'll see what he does against big league hitters. But I think this is somebody that you can look at and say, Hey, the position that the Red Sox are in right now, then they add Chris Sale. That's a, that's a pretty good that's a pretty good deal. I take I think any team would take that. Well, and and it's obviously one of the uh, cliches of the trade deadline when teams point to players on the injured list and they say, well, when when we get them back, it's 
like uh, making a trade for a frontline player. I think that there's a little bit of truth in that, but it's different when you bring in a player uh, of high caliber from the outside and the GM's actually trying to do something to improve your roster from the outside. That really sends a message more than just a player coming off the injured list. Absolutely. Absolutely. But I I think also that just having Chris Sale around, I mean, it's just the fact that you see him coming, it's like, oh, that's just a jolt of energy within itself. It's just because it's like, man, we we were able to sustain this success and be in first place for pretty much all the year. And now we have our guy coming back like that, like that, that's, you know, it's, I think any team would take that. Right. I think it's, if the Yankees, you know, in a situation where, and granted this guy's nowhere near on Chris sales level, but if the Yankees were in a situation where they're in first place and then they said, Oh yeah, Louis, Louis Severino's like, you know, coming back or Garrett Cole's coming back, you know, something like that. They'd be like, man, this is, you know, this is, this is awesome. This is like any team would take this. So I think, I think there's, there's certainly there's value in adding outside. And, and I do think that offers it also offers that sense of like, you know, that boost, but I think also having Chris sale, man, I, I, I'd, I'd be so happy about that. And, and you, and, it, and you hear within Red Sox fans here within from up to Maine, to New Hampshire, to, you know, wherever to Worcester, you know, to Boston, it's, 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 it's loud when you, when you, when, when they hear Chris sales coming back. You think it's better than 50-50 Anthony Rizzo lands in Boston? I think it's a 50. I think it's, I'd say it's 60-40. Yeah, that's to put, or 55-50. I mean, that doesn't add up, right? That's not 60-45. 55-45. yeah. I, I'd, I'd say it's somewhere, somewhere in that range. I, I mean, the Red Sox, I mean, they, they don't really have anything to lose with that. I mean, the Cubs are obviously selling. They're looking at, you know, getting rid of Chris Bryant too. I mean, and those are sort of like the, especially Rizzo and he's considering how long he's, he's, he's been there, but um, those are sort of like linchpins to that organization. So, you know, I, I think, I think the fact that if they were to get him another left-handed bat in that lineup, that's that, that would be huge. You're going to be busy this week, Julian, and I appreciate you taking time out. Hey, anytime. I appreciate it so much. And it'll be uh, interesting following you uh, on Twitter at Julian Mack, J-U-L, I-A-N-M-A-C-K, all one word, of course. Follow Julian McWilliams uh, covering the Red Sox for the Boston Globe. I want to thank everybody for downloading today's podcast. Thank our terrific guest, Julian McWilliams, covering the Red Sox on a daily basis for the Boston Globe. Also want to thank our great sponsor, betonline.ag. For Julian McWilliams, I'm Mike Petralia, and this has been the Red Sox Beat Podcast, powered by Steel NS Media.